Today will probably be more of kind of an introduction to chapter 5, um, because as we get into five, chapter 5, chapter 6, deal with some um, really important issues. Uh, some people would say perhaps controversial issues or issues that we don't like to talk about. Um, specifically, chapter 5 begins a discussion about sexual immorality and sin and, and how we deal with those things in the church. So let's uh, pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we just ask you right now that, God, your word would have entrance into our hearts and into our minds, that, Lord, you would, by your word, uh, transform us, that our minds would be renewed, and that, Lord, we would be people that would be yielded to, surrendered to your word and your will. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in our hearts and in our minds, that you would conform us to the image of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, Lord, you would be glorified in our lives and through our lives. We thank you, Father, for this and for all of your good work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this chapter deals with sexual immorality, it deals with sin in the church, it deals with our attitude and our conduct that is to govern uh, these things. Let's, uh, let's read, let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's, let's go back to verse 14, 1 Corinthians four fourteen, and we'll read into chapter 5. So as we read this portion of scripture, understand that as Paul wrote this, it was a letter, it wasn't divided in chapter and verse, so they didn't have little numbers dividing all of these things. It was just, it was a letter. And when it was read, if you can imagine being in Corinth and getting this letter for the first time, someone would have gotten up wherever they were assembled. Uh, It wouldn't have been a building like this, more than likely. They wouldn't have had a nice platform and a nice pulpit might have been a, a big hall, it might have been a big home. Um, and they got together and the pastor of that church, the elders of that church, they would have read this letter to the believers. They would have read it in its entirety to the believers. Um, so let's begin in verse 14 and let's read into chapter 5. So just follow with me in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 4.14, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will shortly come, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love 
and the spirit of gentleness. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world, for with the, or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would have to, I'm sorry, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Okay, so we're going to begin to go through... um, this chapter. Today, we're not going to so much go through verse by verse. Uh, Today, I want to talk about some broader terms because I want to kind of lay a groundwork as we talk about this so that we understand a few things as we go through this because I believe there's an opportunity for us as we teach through these scriptures to, to hear the wrong thing, to receive the wrong thing, to believe the wrong thing. So it's important that we understand the context of what's being written. It's important that we understand what Paul is saying, how we're to understand what he's saying, how we're to receive what he's saying. And so I want to talk about some broad themes before we just go through uh, this chapter and into the next chapter. He deals really, this continues on into, into what we call chapter 6, dealing with uh, sexual immorality and, and these sins uh, that were running rampant in the Corinthian church. And so this is, why is this an important topic? Why is sexual immorality an important topic for us? I mean, we don't have to 
look very far if we just look at the headlines in the news today, right? I mean, we've got Supreme Court decisions. We've got uh, uh, issues at our own state capitol, um, all of abortion. Um, you know, if sexual, if sexual immorality was not rampant in our culture, we have to wonder how rampant would abortion be in our culture. Uh, if things were done the way God designed them to be done. And so we can talk about that and we can say, well, we should do things the way God says they need to be done. But I can hear that one way and somebody else can hear it another way. I can receive that one way, but somebody else may receive it a totally different way. And so we need to try to make sure as best we can that we all understand why God says what he says and what he means and why these things are addressed. They're addressed in the scripture because they were real issues that existed in the church some 2,000 years ago. But here we are now, 2,000 years on the other side of the cross, and guess what? These same issues are issues that the church is still dealing with today. And why is that? Because human nature doesn't change. Because men are born in sin, and men are bent in their birth, in their sinful births, men are bent towards sinfulness, And so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things that draw us away, they're very easy for us to fall into because it is the sin nature we're born with. This is why Jesus says, you must be born again. And so this is a relevant topic. And so the response of the church to these issues, especially in light of our culture today, is really crucial as we go forward in the work of the kingdom and the preaching of the gospel. So are we going to just ignore these issues because they're unpopular or because they're uncomfortable? I mean, who wants to get up and talk about sexual immorality, right? It's kind of an uncomfortable topic. Let's just be honest. Because we all have, if you, don't, if you haven't been victim of it yourself or a perpetrator yourself, then you know somebody close to you that has, right? And so it can be an uncomfortable topic. So do we, just, do we just not deal with topics because they're uncomfortable or because they're not politically correct or because, you know, no, we, we can't do that. We have to deal with them. And, and I think part of the problem in our culture today is because we perhaps have not dealt with them the way they should have been dealt with, then we see these things rampant in our culture. And people are just kind of doing what comes natural to them if we want to talk about nature, and we're going to talk about nature today. Uh, old nature and new nature, all right? Let me read a scripture to you, Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, if we read that scripture in context, we see that Paul is talking about, I think, a a number of different things. He is talking about material provision. He's talking about sharing your material wealth and provisions with those who preach and teach the word of God. But he's also talking in in other contexts about the provision that we receive from God in terms of spiritual provision. And so uh, in his letters, he's dealing with 
a lot of different issues. This is a principle I think that is true however we want to apply this. We're responsible in how we handle the stewardship of God's provision. That's true whether it's material provision or whether it's spiritual provision. So the spiritual provision of his word demands that we do not compromise under the pressure of the culture in which we live. And so we need to handle these things in sincerity and truth and in love and in a spirit of gentleness. This is what Paul writes to us in his letter here in the Corinthians to, to the Corinthians. There are times when we need to be willing to bring the rod. He asked this question at the end of our chapter 4, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or shall I come in love and a spirit of gentleness? In other words, you guys need to decide. It's kind of like parents. Have you ever have you ever kind of given that ultimatum to your children? Okay? What's it going to be? Am I going to have to apply the rod of correction or will you obey? This is really kind of what Paul is saying. How am I going to come to you guys? Am I going to bring Woody with the uh, frowny face, you know, and apply the rod of correction to you? Or do you want me to come with love and a spirit of gentleness? I really think Paul is a parent to these believers, like any other parent. Come on, parents, what would you rather do? Would you rather have your child just obey and say, I'm sorry, Mommy, I'm sorry, Daddy, and not have to apply the rod of correction? Sure. We don't want to have to apply the rod of correction, but if we fail to apply the rod of correction, spare the rod, spoil the child. What does the Bible say? If you're a loving parent, you're going to bring correction. You're not going to beat your kid. You're going to correct your child. You're not going to abuse them. You're going to discipline them. You're going to lead them in the way that they should go. And if we can do that by coming to agreement together, that's great. But sometimes, maybe we need to bring, as Paul says here, the rod. But I don't think any parent really wants to have to do that. But we have to be willing to do that. Amen? So, in this day, if we're honest, I think the day that we live in, the age that we are in right now, I think men are resistant to preach and teach the truth about some of these things. I mean, just read the, the news. Every day there are, there are parachurch organizations, there are churches, there are denominations. I've got men who are friends of mine, who are pastors, who have left their denominations because their denominations have caved on these issues. And they have said, we will no longer call what the Bible calls a sin, a sin. We don't believe it's a sin. We believe the Bible is somehow, we've outgrown that particular truth. And these men have made a decision to leave their denominations because those denominations will no longer stand up and, and declare what the Word of God declares. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be resistant to preach the truth because we're fearful that it may not attract, or that it may offend, or that it may turn some away. These are real choices that churches are making today, whole movements are making today. So what are we going to do as a congregation? Are we going to, as we teach through 1 Corinthians, are we just going to skip over these chapters because they're too uncomfortable? We can't do that. Because these issues apply to us today. We have real people, real families struggling through these issues. And if the church can't give direction to families 
of how to deal with these issues, if we don't know how to love people, if we don't know how to speak the truth to people, if we don't know how to handle these issues, then are we leaving it up to the world? We can't do that because we know what the world's going to do with these issues. They're going to mishandle them, they're going to misappropriate them, and they're going to create more dysfunction and more death and more destruction uh, just day by day. We have the solution. We have the answer. Now, it might be painful sometimes. The answer may be painful, right? The solution may be painful. Just like applying the rod of correction is painful, but we know that the application of truth ultimately is going to be good. It's going to bring about good. It's going to be healthy. It's going to promote life and health and proper function versus dysfunction. So we need to preach the truth in love. We need to preach the truth for love. We need to tell the truth not only in love but because of love. I mean, if I saw you, knew you were fixing to drink poison, doesn't love demand that I tell you don't drink that, it's poison? Or do I say, well, you know, they really want to drink that and I just hate to disappoint them, so I'm just going to let them drink it. No, you wouldn't. I mean, that's just silly to think of that, right? Why would we withhold the truth from people because we're afraid that they would be offended by it if we really believe it's the truth and we really believe that it's best? Will we not take the risk of being unpopular or being rejected so that we can tell them the truth? I think we must take that risk. So when the Word of God, when the Word of God offends or convicts, we should examine ourselves and find out what it is that's causing His Word to prick our heart. I mean, I, you know, I have to prepare these sermons before I deliver them to you. So as I'm reading through and as I'm preparing these, the Word of God pricks my heart. I have to ask myself, why is, why is this... Why, why am I getting hung up on this? Why is the Word of God getting hung up here in my heart? What is there in me? I have to examine myself and say, what is it within me that, that is, I'm having a problem with in terms of what God is saying in His Word? I mean, we all have to do that. Or we all should do that. So in teaching through the Scriptures, just as Paul's writing of this letter, I want you to hear this, The intent is not to condemn. Are you listening to what I'm saying? The intent of preaching through the Scripture, the intent of Paul writing this letter was not to condemn the Corinthians. That wasn't his purpose. That's not what he was after. What he was trying to do was to equip them and convict them and bring about transformation in their lives. So the world, what is the condition of the world? And we're going through the book of John on Wednesday nights. Let's just, let's just turn over there. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Let's just hold, uh, let's go to John chapter 3. So Paul didn't write this letter to condemn the believers. He wrote it to convict them, to equip them, to help them. John 3, 
Let's begin in verse 16. So we all know John 3.16, right? We've all at least heard it, seen it. If you ever watched football, you've seen the guy with the big rainbow afro standing right in the middle of the goalpost holding up the sign that says John 3.16. Well, if you didn't know what John 3.16 said, this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why did God not need to send Jesus to condemn the world? Because the world was already condemned. We were already under condemnation. That is the condition of the world. It is condemned. And so God sent his son to save them from that condemnation because he, they're already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So the world is already under condemnation. And those who profess to be in Christ... The Word of God should reprove and correct when the practice of their life does not conform to Christ, who is their life? Who is your life? If you are born again today, who is your life? Christ is your life. You don't have your own life. Your life has been exchanged. You were crucified. Your, your life, yourself, your old man was buried with Christ. Now you have been raised in new life, whose life is Christ. So you weren't raised with yours and Christ's life. If you are born again today, Christian, it's because you, you are now living by the life of Christ. So if we call ourselves the church then for love's sake, we must be willing to stand up for truth and boldly proclaim that truth and encourage all who profess to be in Christ to live out the expression of that truth. Amen? So let's talk about two things as we prepare to go through these scriptures. Let's talk about condemnation and conviction. So, understand this. We're not saved by works, okay? We're all clear on that. We're saved for works. God doesn't let us into heaven one day because we've done a bunch of good works. That's not how it works. Works do not produce our salvation. Salvation produces our works. We are his workmanship Ephesians 3.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. That beforehand speaks of before the creation of the earth we're standing on right now. God created good works for us to walk in. Our salvation by grace through faith in Jesus brings about those works. Now we're able to walk in those good works that God prepared for us as a result of our salvation. So no man is justified by his works. The just shall live by faith. 
Amen? Condemnation and conviction. Let me read two scriptures to you. The first is going to be um, just part of what we just read a while ago in John 3. Let's read John 3.17 again. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. We said condemnation speaks of our condition, right? It's the condition that we are in as a result of sin. The other scripture I'll read to you is John 16, 8. Jesus, this is right, uh, this is after they've had the Passover meal together. They're still in the upper room. They're getting ready to leave the upper room and go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to be arrested, and he's teaching his disciples about the, the Holy Spirit whom he is going to send to them. And in Jesus' teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says these words. When he, referring to the Spirit of God, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to convict the world. What? The world that's already condemned. God's going to send the Spirit not to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. He's sending the Spirit to bring conviction because condemnation already exists. Okay? So I want you to be real clear on this. Condemnation is not conviction. You may feel condemned sometimes, and that's, that's very different than condemnation. Now, you might be experiencing condemnation and conviction both at the same time, but I want you to understand condemnation is not conviction, and conviction is not condemnation. As a matter of fact, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, in chapter 8, verse 1, pins these words, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now, let's hold your place. Let's go. It's worth going over a few pages to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at this. Because some people will say, oh, you need to finish that, past, that scripture, Pastor. Well, let's read verse 8 in its totality here. There is therefore now, I mean verse 1, chapter 8, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who is in Christ? Those who are born again, right? If you're born again by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you are in Christ. Romans 8, 9 gives us some clarity. Romans 8, 9, but you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you are born again, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? The answer is yes. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, Paul says you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean your flesh and blood body is some illusion. It's not real. That's not what Paul means. What Paul means here is you, your identity is no longer this. Your identity is no longer this sinful flesh. God doesn't know you according to this sinful flesh. Why? Because this sinful flesh was crucified with Christ. It was buried. There's a reason why you go back to the very beginnings of the Bible. God gives the law to Israel 
And we could say, well, it was for hygiene. God has very strict laws about not messing with dead things. It's like God says, you know, you leave dead things alone. You mess with dead things, and it's, you know, you're going to, at best, you're going to have to wash, and you're going to be unclean for seven days, right? Uh, it, it's going to take some time for you. And some of you guys, you, you, just, you just don't even mess with dead things. You let somebody else if, if it's got to be done. Why, why is, you say, well, you know, that was God's way because they didn't have um, antibacterial hand soap back then and they didn't have, uh, no. Um, yeah, good hygiene, that's great. But, but there's a spiritual principle here that God is teaching his children. The, the principle is this, God does not, God doesn't have a relationship with things that are dead. God doesn't embrace dead things. God doesn't play with dead things. God doesn't pet dead things. God doesn't hang out with dead things. God says dead things are to be in their place. They're to be where dead things are supposed to be, and the living are supposed to be where the living, and the dead and the living don't meet. They're not supposed to meet. So this is why Paul is very graphic in his letter to the Romans, and he says, you know what? You've been crucified with Christ. Your old man... Your dead man, he's buried. Leave him buried. Leave him in the grave. You've been raised now with Christ. You have a new life. Now, Paul's not denying the reality of our flesh and blood bodies, but he's helping us understand something. And he, he affirms this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, whereas we don't even know Christ. Though we've known Christ according to the flesh, we don't even know Christ any longer according to the flesh. God doesn't know us according to this flesh any longer. He knows us how? In his son. So your identity is not this. Your identity is known in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your identity. The Lord Jesus is your identity. And so Paul, in, in, in his dealing with these issues in the church... Even when he has to bring the rod of correction, his point is not to condemn. His point is to convict. And so God says, I'm going to send my spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to convict the world. Condemnation is not conviction. In Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. We're not of the flesh any longer. We're of the spirit because we have the spirit of God. And so condemnation, listen, Condemnation speaks of our condition. When I was in my old sin and death, in my old man, my condition was condemnation. I was condemned. When Jesus came by grace through faith and saved me and translated me out of death into life, out of darkness into light, I am no longer under and in condemnation. I am in Christ now. I am in the Spirit now. My old man, my flesh has been crucified. Leave him in the grave. Let's get on with life. And so now the Spirit of God lives on the inside of me. And why, why is the Spirit on the inside of me? If we, we won't, don't have time to do it today, but if we went through John 14, 15, and 16, and it's a good exercise to do. Get your Bible, and get a highlighter, and go through John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and just highlight and make a note of everything that Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit will do. 
And we'll see that he's going to teach us, he's going to call to remembrance, he's going to lead us, he's going to guide us. Where, where is he leading us and guiding us to? He's leading and guiding us in the paths of righteousness so that we can be saved? No, because we are saved, right? He's leading us to live a life consistent with Christ in us so that our life is consistent with who Jesus is. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us, to correct us, to keep us on track, not to condemn us, not to to squash us and make us feel worthless. That's what condemnation does. And that's not why the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So condemnation speaks of our condition. Now the Holy Spirit will convict us of that condition, right? When we're dead in sin, we need to know we're dead in sin. When we need a Savior, we need to know that we need a Savior. Conviction speaks of our transformation. Condemnation, condemnation doesn't do that. Condemnation speaks of our condition of death. Conviction speaks to our transformation. So condemnation is the condition of every person who remains separated from God. Conviction reveals not only our condition, but conviction reveals that everything in our life that's contrary to Christ. So how is it that, Christian, when you are doing something, have you ever just been doing something and all of a sudden you just feel conviction? I mean, you can look at something, you can say something, you can do something, and immediately you know that wasn't right. Have you ever felt that? Am I the only one? That's, that's conviction. Now, the enemy might take the conviction of the Holy Spirit and try to bring condemnation on you, right? Don't let him do that. God brought conviction because he wants you to understand that that thought, that action, whatever, that is inconsistent with who Christ is. So conviction is really a good thing. It's like pain. You do know that if you're cooking in the kitchen and you grab the cast iron skillet that's been heating on the fire, when you touch it, it burns your hand, you know that's a good thing, right? Because if you did not feel the pain of that burn, you would hold on to that skillet and never know that your hand is cooking to the handle of that skillet. So when you touch that and the pain is instantaneous and you withdraw your hand, that's really a good thing. God calls pain those receptors to fire in our body for our protection. Conviction is the same way. The Spirit of God that brings conviction is just like your physical body that brings pain to you and says, whoa, warning, don't touch that, don't do that. When the conviction of the Spirit comes, it's like that's the warning. God says, whoa, don't, don't touch that, don't do that. That's dangerous. That will hurt you. It's not good for you. That's not going to have a good ending for you. So conviction is a good thing. It reveals that which is contrary to Christ. Why? For the purpose of transformation. So the Spirit of God will convict us of our condition, and the conviction of the Spirit will lead us in His way to transform us and to conform us to the image of the Son. So if we contrast condemnation with conviction, it reveals what the purpose is for both. Now, I'm going to tell you, condemnation does serve a purpose, okay? Condemnation, that word condemnation literally means an adverse sentence. It's like, 
It's like a sentence that's been pronounced. It's like you being in, in court and you're standing before the judge and the judge gives you the death sentence. He's just condemned you. It's an adverse sentence. And this is what the flesh, this is what we do ourselves. I mean, how many times have you condemned yourself over things in your past? Has anyone here never made a mistake in their life? Please show me if there's anyone that's never made a mistake. Thank you, Samuel. I want to make an appointment with you. Uh, let's just block out the week and let's just spend a week together because, I, man, I want to talk to you. I love Samuel. So how many of you have, have condemned yourselves over mistakes you've made in the past? How many of you, even though you know better and you know it's bad, it's not good, how many of you find yourselves continuing to experience condemnation for things you've done in the past? Listen, that the flesh, the world, the devil, all of those things will bring condemnation to you. The enemy, that is his specialty. Condemnation is the specialty of the enemy. You know every, listen, I can't read your mind, but you know what your thoughts are. You know the deep, dark secrets in the depths of your heart and of your mind. And I promise you, you are in so many ways your own worst enemy. You heap condemnation upon yourself. It's what the flesh does. It's what the world does. I mean, think about the message that is sent to us continually that we don't measure up. If I just could drive this car, you know, it'd, it'd be so much better. If I could just afford this brand of clothing, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd appear to be so much more successful if I just had that, you know, whatever. I mean, it, why, why does the world do that? Because our human nature gives way to that. I mean, we fall prey to that. So it's manipulation, this is what the enemy does. He manipulates you to believe things about yourself that aren't true. Or maybe there are some things. Listen, I know who I was. I know the mistakes. I, I've made real mistakes, and I've done things that are sinful. And I can remember too many of those sinful things that I have done. If I dwell on those things, listen, the enemy will, will bring condemnation to me. I'll just sit there, and, and I can just drown in condemnation. We can all do that, but that's not good. So this is what the flesh, the world, and the enemy will use to beat you down in an attempt to ultimately destroy you and to destroy your faith. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make us believe that it's hopeless, that we're never going to change, that we keep repeating the same mistakes. Well, if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't think that, you wouldn't do that. I mean, you know, sound familiar? He uses the same tactic on all of us because we're all susceptible to the same things. And so condemnation is not our friend. But now, except in this, why did, and this is what Paul teaches us in his letter, for instance, to the Corinthians in his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the law. The minist- he calls it the ministry of condemnation. Well, why would God give us a law that he knew would condemn us? 
God did that. The law is not bad. The law is perfect. The problem is not with the law, right? The problem is with us. The law is perfect. The problem is we're not perfect. God says, okay, you don't want to live by faith, children of Israel? You want to, you want to live by works? You don't want to be like your father Abraham? You want to, you want to live by works? Here's, here's the standard. God gave them a perfect standard, and it didn't take long for them to figure out they couldn't live up to that standard. But then we do what all humans do. We just kind of get in denial, and we think that we've mastered these things. And so by the time Jesus comes, the Pharisees really thought they were righteous because they were able to keep the law. I mean, listen, I tithe right down to my mint leaves in my herb garden. How about you? That's literally what Jesus said to them. Yeah, you got all that down. He said, that's fine, do that, that's good, but don't leave the other things undone like justice and mercy. And so if we're not careful, we'll think that through the management of our behavior, we can become righteous. Uh Uh-uh. God gave a law to man that demanded absolute perfection, not only in how we do things out here, but how we do things in here. So Jesus said, oh, you said it's a sin to commit adultery, but I say, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You, you say it's a sin to commit murder, but I say to you, if you say in your heart about your brother, you fool, you've just committed murder. I mean, who can live up to that standard? The answer is no one. So what does that standard do? it brings us to the realization that we are condemned. It condemns us to death. Well, who's going to deliver us from death? Who is the only one that can deliver us from death? That's what Paul says in Romans 7, I thank God for Jesus Christ who has delivered me from this body of death. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So conviction... Conviction speaks of our transformation. Condemnation, it speaks of our condition. So our condition is revealed. We're condemned. Conviction is not an adverse sentence. Conviction is a rebuke or a reproof. Or we could just say it like this. Conviction is correction. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction to expose the condemnation that we're under in the old nature because of sin and death. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction to reveal to us the things in our life that are contrary to Christ. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's kind of like grabbing the pan. It's good that you feel the pain. And the pain is just for a moment if we withdraw from that, right? But now if you grab that hot skillet and you just keep your hand there, The pain's going to continue, isn't it? It's kind of like conviction. If you just persist to continue living in sin, you will live with the pain of conviction. But you know what's going to happen sooner or later? Not only is condemnation going to come and eat you up, but you will just become so seared to that conviction that kind of like if you've ever heard of someone that's been burned badly, they said, I didn't even feel it. Why? Because all their receptors were, were burned. They were destroyed. 
The point of conviction is so that we don't get to that place where all of our receptors are destroyed. And so the Spirit of God brings conviction because condemnation drives you away, but conviction leads you in His way. Conviction is to lead us in His way. I always think of the 23rd Psalm. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. This is what the shepherd does. How does the shepherd... Listen, Jesus is not physically with you, except that he is in reality with you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus is with you through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. So you don't have a physical Jesus leading you in the path of righteousness. You have a Holy Spirit. That's better than a physical Jesus because a physical Jesus can only be in one place at one time. This is why he told his disciples, it's good that I go away and that I send the Spirit. Because I'm with you right now, but he's going to be in you. And he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. So now, that Spirit in me, this is the Good Shepherd. The work of the Good Shepherd by the Spirit of God is leading me in the paths of righteousness. He's leading you in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. When you take a wrong turn... The Spirit of God on the inside of you is going to bring conviction and say, don't don't go down that path. There's danger down there. So what should we do? Go down the path instead? Yeah, but all my friends are down there and it looks so fun. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Don't don't go down there. So, So we're going to make a choice, right? Hopefully we make the right choice. So the purpose of condemnation is death, but the purpose of conviction is life. Where is God leading us? Where do his paths lead us to? They lead us to life. Remember, because God doesn't, God doesn't have a relationship with dead things. So God doesn't lead his people to the place of the dead. He leads them to life. Read the 23rd Psalm and see the beautiful picture that's painted there. That God is leading us even through the valley of the shadow of death. Through He's leading us through to some place better, someplace higher. Not a dark place, but a light place where he's prepared, even in the presence of our enemies, a table. He set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So we need to be careful not to confuse painful conviction that leads to life with destructive condemnation that leads to death. You can, I believe this, I believe you can beat yourself up to the point that you literally just about kill yourself. That's not what God wants. That's not why God has given us his word. That's not why God reveals what is sinful, what is not right. That's why God has given us his word. He reveals everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? He does it for our good. He does it for life. So the point is not to condemn us. The point is to convict us to ultimately bring us to life. And so when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, the Holy Spirit reveals the condemnation that we are under through the law of sin and death that works in our flesh. So when men hear the gospel, this is why it's important for us to preach the gospel, the whole gospel. Because when men hear the gospel, the gospel is the power of God that opens 
men's eyes and brings them to a realization of their true condition, that they are in death, in sin, and in need of a Savior, without hope, utterly hopeless apart from Jesus. The gospel reveals that. The Spirit of God brings conviction, and the Spirit of God doesn't leave us in death. He leads us out of death, and he leads us in the paths of righteousness for Jesus' sake, and he leads us to life. Look at the progression. The 23rd Psalm is a psalm about life. It's the progression of life. Where is our good shepherd leading us? Yes, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he doesn't leave us in the valley of the shadow of death. He leads us out of that to something much, much greater. So the preaching of the gospel brings this conviction to us. This conviction brings us to faith in Christ. It sets us free. How? Paul calls it the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. He said, I was bound by the law of sin and death. I have been set free by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. So in the new creation, when we become a new man through the new birth, there is a new law at work in our members that's at work in us. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ. Amen? So don't confuse conviction with condemnation. It's very important. So when we go through and we begin to talk about these things specifically, we all have a past, right? Anybody not have a past? We all have a past. I don't know what your past is. You don't know what my past is. But we could all probably make a pretty good guess that all of our pasts involves sin. And all of our past involves mistakes that we've made. Choices we've made that we look back now and say, I wish I wouldn't have made that choice. Choices we made that we realize, man, but by the grace of God. I don't know how God did it, but God took that horrible thing and he made it a beautiful thing. I mean, we can all say that, right? Now, why... Have you ever asked yourself this question? When you were born again, and the Bible says you become a new creation, and literally there's a part of you that passes away, and there's a part of you that, I mean, you become something brand new. You're not new and improved. You're not like an old motor that's been reconditioned. You're brand new. But yet, and I always tell people this way, if you think of it this way, I believe we're triune, we're body, soul, and spirit. And so at the, at the point of the new birth, my spirit was made brand new. My body, just exactly the way it was the moment before my new birth. My body's the same. Trapped in between my spirit and my body is what the Bible calls my soul. Your soul is the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Have you ever wondered when you got born again why God didn't just erase all the you, you have all the memories from your old life, right? When you were living under condemnation and sin and death, everything you did, as far back as you can remember, you can remember it, right? God didn't erase those. And God didn't erase those because he doesn't want to erase them. He wants to redeem them. 
He wants you to understand what you have been redeemed from. He wants you to understand, he wants you to be able to look back just like as we're being led, right? Here we go back to the 23rd Psalm when we get up to the table, to the mesa, where God's prepared this feast for us. We're going to be able to look back and we're going to see the valley we came through. We're going to see the darkness we came through. And we're going to wonder, how did I make it through that? So God doesn't erase those things. God wants to redeem those things. And when we go through and we talk about, and you remember things, you recount things, the point is not to bring condemnation. It might not even be to bring conviction because maybe you've, maybe you've got victory over those things. Maybe that really is just a memory. And I know God redeemed me from that. And so you can look back and you can rejoice in the grace of God and the victory of Christ. But, but maybe there are still things that, the enemy is being able, he's using against you to bring condemnation or things that you just can't get settled in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own soul. That, that you are, the world is, the enemy is using against you to beat you down. God wants to take those things. He wants to help you come out of condemnation into a place where you understand his redemption. Amen. And this is Paul's point in writing these things. This is why the Bible deals with real issues. It doesn't shy away from them. And so as the church, we should not either shy away from those real issues because if we do, we're not equipping and we're not helping people learn how to walk through their valleys. They're going to get stuck in the valley and they're not going to know how to come out. You know, EJ posted this tragic article of, I guess up not too far from where, uh, in, in, in Illinois, where they're from, the, the, the family that went hiking, the, the dad and his, what was it, two or three kids that went hiking, and two kids, and they were avid hikers, and they, they left one day out on a hike, and an unexpected cold front blew in. I mean, we're not talking Colorado or Alaska, we're talking Illinois, right? And they're out hiking, but the, the weather got so cold, and the rain was so that the dad could not find the path back and, and the father and the two sons died of exposure in the wilderness there. And they weren't that far from safety. Listen, that's what the enemy wants to do to you, spiritually speaking. He, he just wants to get you lost in the wilderness, lost in the valley of the shadow and just bring you to a place where you just can't go on. That's not God's will for you. And if we allow the condemnation of the past to rule our lives, and we don't let the conviction of the Holy Spirit come in and affect and bring transformation to us, we're going to get stuck in the valley, in the darkness. So the point of the Scripture is to bring you into the light bring you out of the valley and into the place God has prepared for you. Amen? It may be painful, but if we will endure and if we will keep following our good shepherd, he's got something good prepared for us. Amen? We're going to stop there today um, and we'll pick up right where we left off 
next week, and we're going to talk about uh, the what and the who of salvation, what we're saved from, what we're saved to, and what we're being conformed to. And we're going to begin to delve into uh, some of these scriptures specifically as we work through these chapters. Amen? Let's all stand. Now, um, I just want to say this. You know, it's nice. It's nice sometimes. I've had these experiences where God has just done something in my life. I can remember this when I, when, I, uh, when I came to faith in Christ. There were some things, I look back, that God took away from me before that night I say I was born again. And before that night, when I'm sitting in that home in East Austin, and I confess with my mouth faith in the Lord Jesus, there were already things that God had taken away from me. My friends thought I was crazy. You know, I had, there were four of us, college uh, Guys in college, we lived together, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you, we, we had a lot of fun as far as, as, far as college uh, students go. You know? you know what I'm talking about. But there were some things that began to just fall away from my life. Before the night, I said yes to Jesus with my mouth. And my friends couldn't understand why I didn't want to go out and get drunk anymore, why I didn't want to go to the bar anymore, why I didn't want to go do this anymore. I just... I, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't tell them. It's not like I made a conscious decision and said, I'm not going to do this anymore, and I had to struggle with it. It's just like I had absolutely no desire. It's just like it was there one day, and it just disappeared the next. And, and I really had no explanation for it, and they really did think I was crazy. But yet, then there were other things that I struggled with for years, and I begged God, God, take this from me, take this from me. I mean, I think we can all, in some ways, relate to this. And what I'm telling you is, there's not a magic bullet. There's not a magic formula. You might pray a prayer. We're going to pray a prayer today. And you might pray this prayer, and I mean, in an instant, God could just deliver you from whatever it is that you are struggling with. And it could be anything. Or you know what? But what I'm saying is, I believe that is more the exception than the rule of how God works. I think God takes from us the things that he knows that we can't handle. We're going to look at the scripture next week. He won't allow that to come upon you which is greater than you can handle. With temptation, he always makes a way of escape. There are some things, for whatever reason, in God's sovereign purpose, that he causes us to have to walk through and work through kind of like the valley of shadow. We're going to have to go through it. We just have to. He doesn't take us over or around it. He takes us through it. And that's what I call those things that we deal with, regardless of what it is in your life. It might be a small thing to you. It might be a great thing to you. But in some way, this is, this is your journey. But what I'm saying to you is trust the good shepherd. He's leading you through. So we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to close with this prayer. And if you are struggling today with anything, great or small, don't say, you know, I just don't take this to God because there's people that have such greater problems. Don't do that. That's, I'll just be honest with you, that's almost like false piety. Listen, if you've got something, I don't care how small you think it is and it's really bothering you, take it to God. That's why Jesus died on the cross so that you could come before the throne of grace and bring those things to him. 
It's not your place to determine whether it's great or small. You just bring it, the great and the small, you bring it to God and let him deal with it and trust his grace. His grace is sufficient. Amen. Father, we just come before you. Lord, we are so thankful that we can come before the throne of grace. That, Lord, through Jesus Christ, you made a new and living way. And, Lord, we approach your throne, Lord, with boldness and with confidence because of what Jesus has already done. Not because of us, but because of Christ. God, we bring to you, Lord, we just present to you our life. We present to you the totality of who we are. The past, the present, the future. And Lord, we are all struggling in our hearts and in our minds with various things. Lord, there are points of worry and stress about our future, whether they be financial or whether they be relational. There are things, Lord, that we're struggling with from our past, Lord. Things that we have done in our past that we're still Lord, in effect, suffering the consequences of those decisions. Father, we just come to you and we bring these things and we lay them before the throne of grace. We thank you that Jesus, Lord, bore all of these things, Lord, in himself upon the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you have taken our sin in Christ and you have cast it as far as the east is from the West. And Lord, if you have cast away our sin, then we should cast away our sin. Lord, if you don't remember our sin and lawless deeds anymore, then Lord, we should not remember and recount our sins and lawless deeds anymore. But instead, Lord, we should rejoice in the grace of God. And Father, I pray today that by the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us, Lord, to be able to, Lord, look back upon those things of darkness and rejoice in how you've brought us through and set our feet on higher ground. Lord, I just pray that you would help your people, help us, God, that we would not allow the flesh, the world, and the enemy to bring condemnation to us any longer, that, Lord, we would rest in your love and in your peace, the peace that you proclaimed, Lord, at the coming of your Son, peace and goodwill to men. Lord, you have proclaimed your peace and your goodwill toward us. Lord, we rejoice in that. We praise you for that. That your thoughts toward us in Christ are peace and goodwill. And I pray, God, that you would help your people meditate on that. And that truth would deliver them and set them free from the bondage of their past, from the bondage of of the things, Lord, that the enemy would try to use to bring condemnation. We embrace conviction, Lord, because it speaks of our transformation. So we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Work in us, mold us, and shape us into the very image of the Son of glory. Father, bless your people as we go from this place today. Lord, I pray that this simple prayer, Lord, that we would not dismiss our simple prayers, but we would Know, God, that you work in and through all things. You are mighty to save and mighty to deliver. In Jesus' name, amen.